Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Man, what a great weekend we had here at Destiny Community Church with our first ever marriage conference, man. It was just a blowout. It was a wonderful, wonderful weekend. It was so great. And, and everybody involved, everyone that served, uh, I mean, greeters and, and reset team and those on media, sound, video, and, and all of our band, and, and it, I'm going to leave people out. Everyone who served, you just did a tremendous job, and we were blessed, so blessed to have a special guest with us, uh, Joe and Kayla Dobbins from St. Louis, Missouri, from Twin Rivers Church. It was just a blessing to have them here with us, and, and today is such a great treat for you because Joe is going to speak this morning, and, and I, I'm telling you, Mandy and I are loving this, this new uh, found friendship that we have found with, with Joe and Kayla and just have had great conversations with them already. Joe and I have known each other, known of each other for years, and, and it was about to the point where we would just say hello and we would see each other, but, but man, I just so appreciate his heart and getting to know him. What you don't know about Joe is that Joe is a very sought-after speaker and, and has trained pastors and church leaders all over our nation and even uh, around the world. And uh, for him to take time to, to be here with us and for the weekend and, and to be away from his church, which is a multi-campus church in St. Louis, Missouri, for him to take time out from, from his church to be here with us, I know the sacrifice that, it, that that is, and that means so much to me. And I want you to put your hands together and welcome my friend Joe Dobbins. Thanks, man. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand. Come on, he's the reason we're here this morning. He's the one we came for. Man, what a great, great crowd this morning. Online, so good to be with you as well. Um, just to get to be with uh, the DCC family in person and online is so good. Uh, listen, th this weekend has been so much fun, and uh, I, I really, I feel like it, it was the best marriage conference you guys have ever had. I really do. I, it was just, I, I don't like to brag on myself, but it was the best one, uh, you know, so uh, no, it, it, was, it was great to be a part of your first one, and uh, um, it's just great to meet so many of you. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but it, this is not just hyperbole. You're a part of one of the best churches in the United States. Uh, every church is not experiencing what you're experiencing right now, the vibrancy, this spiritual hunger, this life change that you're seeing. Many churches are trying to figure out how to even get their doors back open. They're trying to figure out how to reach people. They're trying to figure out who's left. And here you are. I mean, just a multitude of people who are hungry for Jesus. And um, obviously, Obviously, uh, he is the reason that that exists, but he uses people, and one of the greatest gifts he's ever given you are your pastors. Um, you know, the Bible actually calls them gifts. Absolutely. Ephesians 4 uh, says that God gives gifts these gifts to the church, and he names pastors as a gift. So they're a gift to you. Um, and so if I was you, I would you know, text 
tweet, a carrier pigeon, a note of encouragement to them to tell them how much you love them because they have just done a remarkable job leading you through what has been the most difficult season of leadership any pastor has ever faced. And so uh, I just honor both of you today. It's amazing. The fruit of your ministry is so obvious, and um, thank you for this opportunity. I, it means so much. Um, turn in your Bible to Psalm, 20, or Psalm 43. Psalm 43. You can turn to Psalm 23. It's a good one, too, but 43 is where I'll be. Um, you know, I, I want you to, to follow along in this, as I unpack this passage for you. I'm just a Bible guy. I love the Bible. I think it has the power to change our lives. Um, you know, it was uh, just a few um, years ago, I, we had this sense. I don't know if you've ever had this sense. Have you ever just had a feeling that something wasn't right? Like, like you just get that sense, like something's not right in this room. And, um, and Kayla and I have four children. Um, they're 10, 8, um, 6, and 16 months. And we just had this sense that something wasn't right. And so we started looking in rooms, um, you know, this room and that room, kind of trying to figure out, it's just a little too quiet in our house, something isn't right. And we, uh, we went to room number one, nothing, it's good. You know, went to room number two, nothing, everything's fine. Went to room number three, and we discovered what our parental sixth sense was picking up. Our kids um, had decided to turn it into an art studio, and they had painted the walls, they had painted the floor, and then as we walked in, this is what they looked like at each other. You know, that this is kind of, we just had this feeling that something wasn't right. And, um, and I guess I just tell that story because I, I don't know about you, but it feels like for the last few months, many people have had this sense, something is not right. Something on the inside of me is off. Like, like I haven't bounced back yet. There's something that just isn't right on, uh, in my soul and my spirit and who I am. And, and, and I just, I, have, I haven't been able to put my finger on it, but something's not right on the inside of me. And I feel like that I want to address that feeling today uh, with a message that I think if you hear the title, you'll, you'll kind of get um, you know, how directly the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. The title of this message is, My Soul Needs a Reset. My Soul Needs a Reset. And, um, and I don't know if, if you would be a candidate for that, but over these last few months, um, this message was born out of the reality that my soul, me, the guy speaking today, my soul needed a reset. And so um, why don't we do this? Why don't we pray and ask the Holy Spirit not just to, to you know, make these next few moments um, kind of bearable, but what if God wants to speak directly to you and he wants to reset your soul and he wants to, he wants to put right that feeling that hasn't been right. And so um, let's bow our heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just ask that you would come and do what only you can do. May you access the deepest parts of who we are, even those who are online listening right now, those who are watching, Father, may you access their hearts. And may, Holy Spirit, this not just be out of exercise, but may there be a spiritual experience that takes place. Lord Jesus, may your word rule and reign, and may lives be forever changed. God, I'm, I just, the last thing I want to say is I just pray that you'd help me. I'm so excited to be here. Help me not to violate social distancing and hug everybody in the room. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, listen, um, 
I, it was a few days ago that my phone was acting funny. You know, it was just, it was, it's kind of like it wasn't responding as quick as it should, and uh, some of the, the apps were slow. And, um, and that just, I mean, obviously my world fell apart, because, you know, your phone's your world, I mean, everything in it. And I was so frustrated, I mean, just almost like borderline furious that my phone's acting like this. And then I kind of had this, this moment where I laughed at myself being so impatient. Because here I am, you know, mad that my phone's taking a nanosecond too long, and here, I used to own a VCR. Like, did you ever own a VCR? I mean, if you had, like, if you watched a movie and you had to rewind it, it took two days. You had to stay home from work for two days. To, that's how long it took. And if you didn't rewind that video and you took it back to Blockbuster, that was a federal offense. You're going to prison for that, all right? I mean, so you kind of just laugh at yourself and you're like, you know, what am I thinking? And, and, and the truth is, the phone that is in your pocket or in your hand right now, the technology in it compared to what was in that VCR is not even close. I mean, there's more in your phone, more technology, it's more complicated than the very first space shuttle that they sent from Cape Canaveral. And so the, the reality is this, if your phone's messed up, you're messed up because you don't know how to fix it. I mean, there's no way that you could open up the back of it and reprogram anything or, or rewire something. You don't understand how the software works. And, and I mean, if your phone was left up to you to fix, you're not going to fix it. But thankfully, the engineers in Simi Valley knew that about you and knew this about your phone. And so they designed it with a function that when it's, dis, when it's in a season of dysfunction, they designed it to where all you have to do is reset the phone and it usually corrects whatever has been in dysfunction. Well, like your phone, life has many resets, many resets. For example, a good night's sleep will tend to reset a tired body. Um, saying I'm sorry will most of the time reset any relationship that's messed up. Um, sex will reset a marriage that's been at distance. And, and, and you know, a semester will reset a student that's been struggling. Uh, a new season will reset a team that's been on, in, a, in, a bad, in, a, in a bad streak. There's a lot of resets in life, but the question I want to ask today is, what resets the soul? What resets the soul? And because the reason I bring that up is because your soul is not something that activates when you die. That's not just the heaven part of you. Your soul is who you are now. You're not a body with a soul. You're a soul that has a temporary body. And that's the reason that in 3 John uh, chapter 1, verse 2, the writer says, Beloved, I pray that in every way you may succeed and prosper and be in good health physically, just as I know your soul prospers or that spiritual side of you prospers. Here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying that God intends for your life to prosper, every bit of your life, financially, relationally, you know, physically, but it all flows, prosperity from God flows from your soul, not to your soul. Meaning that if your soul on the inside of you is in turmoil, it doesn't matter how good things around you are going, you're not going to feel the prosperity that God wants you to have. 
Listen, you, you can have all the money in the world, you can have all, all the right relationships, you can have everything right around you, but if your soul's wrong within you, you will never be right because prosperity flows from your soul. And that describes the crux of the problem that many of us are experiencing after the wake of 2020 and the wake of 2021. Listen, our souls are suffering. It's the reason that you feel lethargic. It's the reason that things feel heavy. It's why some of you are irritable. It's why some of you, you, you feel like you can't get this, this kind of grayness out of your vision and the, the filter with which you see things through. Your soul is suffering. But here's what the worst part. It's not that your soul's suffering. It's that you don't know how to fix it. That you don't know how to set it right. You don't know how to reset it. And that is the crux of what we find in Psalm 43. The writer's soul is in trouble. And it is, I will read a few verses to you, and I want to take you through because I think there's some answers in here. He says in Psalm 43, 1, he says, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me um, from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Now, it don't take a Bible scholar to figure out pretty quick that, that this guy's not having like your just mo normal Monday complaint. Like there's something deeper going on the inside of him. And it's not just one problem, it's a multifaceted problem. He says, first of all, I've got some people problems. I'm just, I'm tired of watching and seeing what wicked people do in the way that it affects my life. And then he says, I, I also see that there are, there's just some political problems. I'm looking at my nation, and I see there's some unrest in my nation, and it's starting to affect me as well. And, and then he goes and says that there's also just this pressure that I'm living with, and it feels like I'm being attacked. It feels like that, God, you're not near. It feels like something's going on that I can't control, but, but there's a greater sense of a spiritual pressure that is on the inside of me, and, and God, I'm not enjoying this season. And, and, and he's, you know, one of the things I love about Scripture is, is that sometimes it gives me the words to describe what I'm actually dealing with. Sometimes I can't, I can't give the, the language to what's going on on the inside of me, but Scripture will do that. And this Scripture is describing what so many of us have been living. I mean, maybe you, you feel the, the season that this guy's writing about where you look around and go, God, where did all these wicked people come from? Like, where did all this misinformation and all this nastiness towards one another, where did this come from? Maybe you're looking around at your nation and you're going, when did we get like this? Like, like when did we start acting? Th I thought we were better than this. Maybe you feel like, like he feels the spiritual pressure and you're, you're saying to yourself, hey, hey, God, I'm the one following you. Why am I the one that lost my job? Why am I the one whose marriage is in trouble? God, I followed you. Listen, I'm here in the middle of a pandemic at church. I, I'm the one watching online. God, but yet I feel like I'm under a, a conviction of some sort. Like, like that, God, there's something I'm doing wrong. But the problem is, God, I don't know what it is. And then there's just this turmoil that's on the inside of him. And, and, and it's, it's one thing to have some turmoil because, I mean, you know, we can handle one thing. We don't expect life without any battles. But in this season, it's a multifaceted battle that never seems to be ending. It's just one thing builds after another thing, and it's this unendingness that continues. And I guess the only word that, that fully encapsulates all that we feel is the word agitation. That on the inside, we feel agitated. It's not just angry. It's not just sad. It's not just apathetic. 
It's not just irritated. There's an agitation that's on the inside of us. And the reason that I feel like I'm able to label it today is because I've dealt with my own case of agitation. Listen, for the, for the past few months, I, I've felt it. I've seen it appear in my life when, I'm, when my kids do something wrong and I'm quickly and sharply correcting them. I've, I've felt it as, as there's a burning sensation on my chest from just the pressures of life that I can't seem to get rid of. You can feel it when you sleep at night. Listen, I feel it when I see people post another stupid post online. Why do so many people, why do so many stupid people have internet access? I just don't understand it. Listen, I feel it. And, and, you know, and here's what we start to think. That's the problem. The problem is my kids. The problem is, you know, there's just the pressure. The problem is people's stupid posts. But you know what I noticed? That there are some days that my kids act right, and I still feel it. And there are some days that my schedule's not full, and I still feel it. And there are some days, rare days, that people don't post stupid stuff, and I still feel it. And so it started, you know, my background's in counseling, and so I had to put myself on the couch. I said, God, there's something going on on the inside. I can't put my finger on it. I can't fully grasp it. There's just this agitation on the inside of me. God, I need you to show me what's going on on the inside of me. And here's what he showed me. All that other stuff, that's symptoms. That's 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 not really the issue. There's a source that many of us miss, and it's that our souls are suffering. That, the, that, that Listen, you're not mad because the kids are acting that way. You're not frustrated because you and your spouse are... Listen, you're, it's not the pressures of work. That's just symptoms. Soul is the source. And, and, and here's what, what I, I want you to, to see is that, that there's something deeper God's trying to work on the inside of you that, that, that most of the time your emotions are just a signal that your soul needs attention. The anger, the agitation, the irritability, it's just a, it's a signal that your soul needs the attention. And luckily, the writer of Psalm 43, he, he had figured this out. He knew that there was something deeper going on because he lists it in verse 2 when he says, Why, O God, have you rejected me, and why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? He says, listen, this ain't kids and internet and posts. There's something deeper, and the first thing that I'm just going to admit, God, I feel abandoned by you. And I think that's the way some of us feel in this season. You know why we feel abandoned by God? I mean, we look around and say, God, where are you? Because most of the time, we view God's presence through the positivity of our circumstances. Things are going good, God's in control. Things are going bad, where's he at? And it, and it's, it, and it shows up in a lot of different ways, you know, Wondering if God is with you is the core of most of the struggles you have. For instance, fear is actually caused by abandonment because the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. So you can't have fear if you know God's present. Stress is the cause of abandonment, or is the result of abandonment. Because stress comes when I don't believe God's near, I start doing my job and I think I've got to do his job too. Um, even depression. Now listen, there's a real chemical side to that. There's a real physiological side to depression. But a lot of times what we label depression is a person who's carried 
way too much for way too long because they're not certain God is with them. And it's their soul longing for God. And, 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 and here's, here's what we see is that when you feel like you're absent from God, I love what he said. He says, God, where are you? But then he goes, and it feels like the enemy has come upon me. See, it's not only in this season that you probably felt abandoned, but you've also felt attacked. Now, I don't know how much you, you really buy into all this. I'm going to tell you how much, since I'm the one with the microphone, I'll tell you what I buy into. You have a spiritual enemy who from the moment of his existence has planned to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And he is not all-powerful, and he is not all-present, but he is very diligent and patient. And he has studied human nature, and he has studied you. And there are times that he waits like a sniper for the perfect moment to shoot a lie or accusation into your mind that so hits your heart, so wounds your belief system about God's goodness or about your value that it wounds your whole destiny. But at other times, he doesn't wait like a sniper. He releases a barrage of mind missiles, messages that come from every direction, Messages that come from people and media, messages that come from, from just almost seemingly nowhere that are exhausting these thoughts that you have. Fear and, 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 and concern and accusations and lies. And you survive most of them, but some of them get through and they wound you until the point that you enter into a season where victory is not an option, you're hoping for survival. And it's in those seasons that he's so barraging your mind with whether it's fear or lies, the reality of what happens is, is you become exhausted and you become confused. You wonder, where is God? Why am I under attack? You start to label things with, their, uh, with motives that you believe are true, that God is angry with you, that he's mad at you, that there's something that you've, not done, that you've done wrong. You start to apply these motives. And when you get in this situation, what the trap we fall into is we try to fix a spiritual problem with natural solutions. See, for most of us, when, we, when our soul's under, under this duress, we do one of two things. We either try to relieve it or we try to remove ourselves from it. Relieving it looks like that you take substances, that you spout off online, that, that you do anything to disconnect from it. Listen, a lot of times our televisions are us trying to relieve pain in our souls. You say, are you really preaching against television? I'm not preaching against television unless it's the source of the way you unplug because you can't unplug with a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Listen, sometimes a Netflix binge is you trying to keep your soul at rest. We say it all the time. We say things like, I just need to turn off my mind. But you know what's funny about it? It doesn't fix the problem. Listen, have you ever heard of anybody walking to your office the next day? They walk in peppy. They're looking good. Man, I'm feeling good today. What did you do last night? I'm telling you what I did last night. I watched TV for four hours. Whoo, refreshing, that whole series. And nobody ever acts like that. They walk in, black eyes, droop, you know, guzzling coffee. What did you do last night? I stayed up too late watching TV. Listen, it's because that television can't reset your soul. 
But some of us, we don't try to relieve it. We try to remove ourselves from it. We feel like if we get a new spouse, new job, new friends, new church, we can recapture what's missing in our souls. I read recently that um, a third during the pandemic, one third of Christians who attended church have stopped attending and have stopped watching online. One third. Hey, let me, let me, you know what's interesting about that study? Exact same study said that same third have experienced a massive decline in emotional and mental health. You know why? Because you can't remove yourself far enough from your soul. And it's not a church problem, and it ain't a job problem, and it ain't a marriage problem. Your soul's going to go with you, and if your soul's what's in trouble, it's going with you to wherever you go. L listen, listen, our problem is that we think that there's something we can do, something we can take, something we can do, uh, you know, a, a place we can go that will fix what's on the inside of us. But your soul cannot be relieved. Your soul cannot be removed. Your soul has to be reset by God himself. And that's the reason that, that in verse 3, that, 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 he's, that the writer starts to provide spiritual solutions. He says, God, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. He says, God, I've got to find your presence. And then he goes on and says, then I will go to the altar. Underline the word altar. I want to come back to that. Of God, to God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with a lyre. I want you to underline that. It's an instrument that he would use. Oh God, my God, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise my God, my Savior. Now listen, here, here's what he's saying. I have to get back to where God's presence is. Because I recognize that is the only thing. I can't relieve my soul. I can't remove my soul. The only place that my soul can be reset is in the presence of God. Now for, for, for many of us, that's just too simple. You mean God's presence can fix this, this thing? Don't, don't you think I need like something more? Don't you think there's, there's, I need to do something? Because we're so bent to fix ourselves that we think God fixing us isn't even an option. But listen, what I love about this is that, that most of the time we show up to these moments because we're, we're strong, self-sufficient people. We show up thinking, I need to work harder, I need to fight through, or I need to get out of this situation. I either need to work, I need to fight, or I need to flee. And those are the options we think that we have. But, but what I love about this is that most scholars agree that this is King David writing. Not young David, shepherd boy David in the field David. This is King David, mature David, been around the block for a while David. And, and they believe that he's writing this at one of the lowest moments in his kingdom's history. It's when his son, Absalom, has committed a coup against his own kingdom and has come and run his dad out of the city, out of the palace, and is abusing his people. And David and his men, the few that are still with him, have taken and loaded whatever they can under their arms, and they are walking out into the wilderness with the kingdom behind them because they have been put out by their enemies. And so doesn't that sound familiar, by the way, that David has now been removed from his routines, he's got family issues, and his nation is in turmoil. 
And so in that set, he walks out into the wilderness, and they get far enough away to camp, and he pulls some advisors around him. And he says, guys, I'm telling you, my soul is downcast. It's disturbed within me. What do you all think we should do? And one advisor says, I'm telling you, King David, here's what we've got to do. Right now, we need to go and build a new kingdom. We can work our way through this. We can try harder. We can strive. We did it once. We can do it again. And then another, another advisor says, no, no, no. What we need to do is fight in this moment. We need to turn around and march back into that city, and we need to take it by force. We need to stand up for ourselves. We need to push through in this moment. And then the, the third one, he says, no, no, no. We need to keep running, David. We need to get out of here. We need to tuck tail this. We, we got to get out of this season. We got to get out of this relationship. It is time to run. But what you get in this moment is David is mature enough in his walk with God to be able to differentiate when he should be working, when he should be fighting, or when he should be running. And so he looks at them and he says, guys, listen, I know what it is to work. I ran a very successful shepherding business, and I'm telling you, this is not the time to work because my soul, work's not going to fix it. Guys, I can tell you, I know what fighting is. It says giant slayer on my business card. I know what it is to stand up for yourself and to fight against the enemy when he comes against you, but my soul doesn't need us to fight fight right now. Guys, I'm telling you, I know that sometimes God does call us to exit and call us to run. I ran from Saul for 13 years and that was God's will. This is not that time because your soul is not going to be reset by working. It's not going to be reset by fighting. It's not going to be reset by running. There's only one place that this soul on the inside of me can be reset and it's with the presence of my God. I have to get in his presence because it's the only way. There's nothing I can do. Nothing I can make happen that will reset what's going on on the inside of me. And what David knows is this, is that your soul was made for God. The moment you took your first breath was his first breath into your soul. And ever since then, your soul has been God starved and God craved. It wants to be with God every moment of every day, and it will not be satisfied till you are in his presence. What he knows is in God's presence, your soul finds all that it needs. There is joy in his presence. There's peace in his presence, that he lifts your head in his presence. What he knows is, is that in God's presence, he can access parts of your soul you don't even know how to access. He can come in and take your heart that's so bound like a ball of yarn, and he can pull it apart, and he can put your thoughts back in order. He can ignite a dead soul, and he can extinguish a hurried soul. He can come in and do what you cannot do for yourself because there is only one place, only one way that your soul is reset, and it's in the presence of God. But I know that some of you are saying, yeah, that sounds great, Pastor. Problem is, I can't seem to find God's presence right now. I wish that I could walk in this place and feel it like I used to. I wish at home I could sense it like I once did. It kind of just feels like right now, Pastor, that God's presence is the answer, but it's not available. And what I would say is, is that God's presence is not always accessed the same way. That David says, guys, I need you to get me an altar, and I need you to get me an instrument. Guys, I need a place to sacrifice, and I'm gonna, I, I need a song. You know, sacrifice, especially in the animal sense, is not something we do in our worship. But you still need an altar. Because altars are places that you meet with God. That's why Paul wrote in, in 
Romans 12.1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Not a dead animal, but a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do you have a favorite chair at home? Do you have a favorite chair? Look, I've got a chair at home. Um, it's, it's leather. It's, it's, like it's, it's formed to me. It's perfectly worn. It's not too new, but it's not too old. And like my kids get in that chair, I kick them out of the house, they get in that chair. That's not their chair. That's my chair. And it's also the chair that I meet with God in nearly every morning. You need a place to meet with God. You need an altar. You need a place that he can consistently reset your soul. But it's not just the altar that's needed, it's the sacrifice that's needed. And so I'm going to give you three sacrifices, just real quick, that are needed if you want your soul reset. It, here, here's the first one. The first thing that you need is, um, is you need a sacrifice of pace. A sacrifice of pace. You know um, what the problem is with living sacrifices? They keep getting up off the altar. They don't stay on it long enough for God's presence to come. No, no, no. You know what that's like. Oh, God, I'm so glad I get to be with you this morning. I need you so desperately. Let me open my Bible app. Oh, what's going on on Facebook? I cannot believe they posted that on Instagram. That is crazy. Oh, too much time. I got to get to work. God, we'll do it later. It's God, I need you so desperately but I also need to do the laundry. Listen, there has to come a point in your life where being with him outweighs doing anything else. Because as much as he wants to meet with you, it requires a sacrifice of pace. A point where you will strap yourself to this altar a point to where you will say, I will turn off my phone. I will shut down the TV. And God, I'll stay here as long as it takes for you to reset my soul. You know, because hurry evicts God's presence. But waiting invites his presence. And sometimes it ain't enough just to do the eight minutes of Jesus callings and move on. Sometimes God wants to say, I'm number, I, want, I want you to communicate, I'm number one, by sitting here for as long as it takes. The second thing you need to do is you need a sacrifice of praise. Um, David said, bring me a place, an altar, but also bring me a, a, a way I can play a song. Why a song? Well, Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, and openly profess his name. So here's what it is, is that when your soul's in trouble, your mouth's in trouble. That, that when your soul's in turmoil, you need a song to replace the, <laughs> the bad words you tend to use. So there's just some points where I need to borrow someone else's revelation of God's goodness because I don't see it right now. There's sometimes I need someone else's words to describe his glory because I just don't feel like doing that. Because songs open our hearts, and that's the place God wants to be.
You know what my biggest concern about today is? That some of you will sit here, but you will not open here. That at home, we'll, we'll go through the motions of being here or watching, but that we won't open here. One day, uh, they came to Jesus and they said, how does God like to be worshipped? And he said, well, God likes to be worshipped four ways. He, likes, he says, you should love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. God likes to be worshipped four ways, loved on four ways. Most of us only love God one way, and it's the way we're most comfortable. So if you're intellectual, you approach God intellectually. If you're more emotional, you tend to approach God more expressively. But the point is, is that you're doing it to your comfort level, not to what he receives, because he wants it four ways. I heard the Holy Spirit say about this day in your life that in order for him to reset your soul, he needs you to express worship in a way you normally don't express it. Now, that means for some of you um, who normally like to, listen, I know how it is. I'm more introverted. I remember the first time I was in a worship service and I raised my hands. I looked around, make sure nobody's looking. I felt so spiritual, I thought I should start wearing a collar. Like, that's how. But it took a lot to stretch into that. For some of the rest of you, it's, it's, you, you got, you're, you're fine with raising your hands. What you need to do is kneel and be silent before the Lord. For some of you, what you need to do is you've sang the words with your mouth but your heart is so boxed up, God's not been able to visit it for a long time. And worship today for you looks like letting tears run from the pain you've been carrying. Because here's what he says. Unless you worship in a way that is fresh, I can't reset your soul. But, but, but listen, here, and you say, well, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like doing that. I don't even feel like worshiping. That's, what da- that's why David said, soul, why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? Yet we will praise the Lord. Do you see what happened there? David looked at his feelings and said, I understand you don't feel like doing this, but feelings, you aren't in control. Soul's going to be in control. Feelings, you're going to follow my choices. You're not going to lead how we worship. Therefore, we will worship God. We will lift our hands. We will open our mouth. We will let him access our hearts, whether we feel like it. Which, by the way, that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. It's because you don't feel like it. Now, here's the last one. You also need to give a sacrifice of pride. Here's what I've discovered. Our desire to control is what creates most of the agitation in our lives. Our desire to control. We want to make the circumstance happen. We want life to be back the way it was. We want our kids to do this. And it's that desire to control that, that when life starts to pry away from us, it creates the agitation. So here's your options today. You cannot fix the situation. God's not giving you that option. 
He's not giving you the option to fix your job. He's not giving you the option to fix your spouse. He's not giving you the option to fix your kids. He's not giving you the option to fix your relationship status. He's not giving you the option to fix anything. But he is offering to fix you. But what that requires is, is to receive a, a soul reset. You have to relinquish control. And so that's when it moves from sitting with God to giving him the seat. There is a point where David had to kneel down and say, God, if I never get the kingdom back, yet will I follow. There was a point where I had to kneel down and say, God, if Twin Rivers never looks like what it once did, yet will I follow. There was a point where Jesus, Mark 14, 26, the Bible says that Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. His soul is beginning to be disturbed within him. And the Bible says he ate a meal with the disciples, then they sang hymns, and then he went to an altar known as Gethsemane. He knelt down and said, not my will, but yours. He sang a song, and he made a sacrifice. And there'll be a place where you've got, maybe even today, to kneel down and say, God, I don't care if I never get the job back again. I don't care if life doesn't look back the way it once did. I don't care if this never goes back to the way I want it to be. Yet will I follow. Because here's the, the issue. It's our pride that prohibits God from sitting in his proper place. It's our pride. It's our desire to have it the way we want it that doesn't allow God to sit on the throne of our hearts. I, um, I heard a pastor <laughs> tell a, a story about the first time he ever went to the orchestra. He talked about that he didn't want to go, but his wife did. So he wasn't enjoying it, but he wanted to stay married. So he went to this orchestra and he said they got there just a few minutes early and he was blown away at what a terrible experience it was. He said they went in and, um, and the, the noise that was coming out of the orchestra pit was unbearable. He said that, that none of the sections were doing anything in unison. It was, it was awful. The drums were beating to different beats. The strings, some of them were playing different parts of different songs. The horns, some of them were, were kind of tuning, and then other people were just talking. He said it was the most unbearable experience, nothing to enjoy, awful noise that was coming up out of that pit. And then he said, all of a sudden, it stopped and silence fell. And within seconds, the most beautiful music he had ever heard flowed from that stage to his ears. What was the moment that changed everything? The conductor stepped up into his proper place. And when he stepped up, what was in disorder was brought into order. What was unbearable became enjoyable. And what was chaotic became a beautiful experience. Listen, you know what the problem is? We got a world trying to make music without the conductor being in his proper place. We got a noise that's a world that's yelling at each other, screaming for their own way, demanding, singing that they must have it their way. And until your life puts the Lord Jesus in his proper place, you will not experience the sweet music that he wants to produce in your life. But when he steps in, he will make what a season that has been unbearable 
enjoyable. What's been chaotic will come into a wonderful experience with him. And that's why it requires a sacrifice of pride. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.